Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. Amen. Amen. Thank you, worship team, for uh, using your gifts to, uh, to lead us in worship this morning. Uh, and there is something that's just really great about uh, singing the heavens are roaring and hearing all of uh, your voices as we sing together uh, a little bit of, uh, of heaven breaking out on earth as we, we roar our praises together. Uh, reminder before we dive into uh, scripture and the message this morning, we've been talking for uh, the last couple of weeks at least about being on the same page this summer, about this opportunity that we have, uh, that we're hoping as many of you as want to join in with to read the New Testament together this summer. Uh, If you prefer a paper copy and would like to know what uh, those readings are, there should be bookmarks in the back. Uh, Or if you're willing to do it electronically and join in with us in some conversation even, at least reading what other people uh, are commenting, Uh, You can do that by going to our website and looking for the little New Testament in 90 days picture, uh, and you can either sign up then through Bible.com or the YouVersion app. They're exactly the same thing, lead exactly the same place. And then not only do you have the plan of what we're reading together, but there's also a little talk it over space. Uh, And I have to say that I am loving people's comments and observations and questions and seeing what God is stirring in people as we read together. Uh, It has become one of uh, my favorite parts of every day. And I I, I will say that I was very aware we had very uh, intelligent uh, people in in our church family, so that has come as no surprise. Uh, The the amount of wisdom coming through, and we should get some of y'all standing up here. Uh, So just because I know, I know making a comment in a Bible app and standing up in front of people and speaking are exactly the same thing. So uh, anyway, I've just, I've loved the, the wisdom and people's willingness to engage in the questions and the observations, engage in what God's doing. So that is happening right now. And it is very much not too late to join in. Uh, if you want to go to our website and join in that way or pick up one of the pieces of paper. And if you've not started and you feel like, oh man, I would have to read 18 chapters today, I will personally give you permission to just start with today or start with tomorrow. And, and if you need to go back through and check all the little boxes so that it stops telling you you've missed something, please, by all means, do that. If that feels like cheating to you in some way, then don't do it. I don't care. Just, just start. Just start. It'll be okay. The point is to be on the same page together. And then uh, our sermons this summer, the vast majority, if not all of them, are going to be based on what we have read together that week. So fun little game you can play is as you're reading through, go, hmm, I wonder what they're going to be preaching on this week. And then you can see if you're right. And if you're right, there is a prize for you. You get to feel like you were right. That is the prize. So that's all we've got for you. But uh, it's, it's something. So anyway, uh, (laughs) we so far have read through the first 18 chapters of Matthew. And Matthew starts with the genealogy of Jesus, of his ancestry and where he came from. And then we go to the birth story, famous Christmas story, at least part of it, uh, mostly from Joseph's perspective. 
and then we get into the beginning of Jesus's ministry, and he spends 40 days out in the desert, and then there's this showdown with Satan as, as things get started in, in that, that way. Matthew was writing to a Jewish audience, and he seems determined to help his Jewish audience connect Jesus with their Jewish history, with the history of the nation of Israel. He starts by connecting Jesus back to Abraham, the father of their faith in that genealogy. And then the birth story is so centered on Jesus being connected to David, the hero of their nation's history. Uh, And then he spends 40 days in the desert, just like Moses and the Israelites spent 40 years out in the desert learning from God and being prepared for what was coming. And then Moses went up on a mountain and he came down with these laws of God, these boundaries for the context of blessing for the people. And immediately after Jesus's 40 days and his showdown with Satan, Matthew takes us to Jesus on a mountainside teaching the people these laws, commands, these Uh, these blessings, a context for blessing, and we start to realize that what Jesus is presenting us with is really, really upside down and backwards of how we know the world to work. He says things like being poor is not a curse, it's a blessing. That grieving is not to be avoided, it's a blessing. That persecution is not to be avoided, It's a blessing that we shouldn't be about self-preservation, but about the preserving of others like salt preserves food. He says that the person who follows the Ten Commandments or the biggest laws or whichever laws they decide are the biggest, but ignores the rest is no better than the person who ignores all of them. He teaches that all of us who get angry are no better than a murderer that all of us who lust are no better than an adulterer, that we should not seek revenge, but we should love our enemies. These things are crazy and backwards. It says to, not, to judge as you want to be judged, to forgive as you want to be forgiven, to treat others as you want to be treated, not because they treated you that way first or they forgave you first or they judged you or didn't judge you first, but simply because that's the way it should work, that that is the context for blessing. These things seem so different from the way that we are taught to operate in the world, the things we are taught to pursue. They certainly were different for the things the world was teaching uh, pursuit of in Jesus's Day. However much any of this makes sense to us is likely because our culture has been so influenced by these teachings over the last 2,000 years. And I read these things and they're so backwards and it, it, I guess I understand to some degree that if you're not a Jesus follower, these things just seem ridiculous. That to some degree, this stuff makes sense to you. There's some of these things, frankly, that the world may do better than the church does some days. But a lot of it just seems so, what do you mean poverty is a blessing? What do you mean persecution is a blessing? This stuff doesn't make any sense. And and I understand why people would read that and go, yeah, I don't actually want any part of that. And I'm not sure I would either, except for the experiences that I have had of Jesus and his people 
And Matthew takes us straight from these teachings to the experience of Jesus. He immediately moves from these are the upside down and backwards things Jesus teaches to these are the upside down and backwards things that Jesus lives out. He starts with a story of Jesus touching and healing a leper. People with leprosy had to walk around yelling, unclean, unclean, so that no one would come anywhere near them, let alone touch them. Jesus actually reaches out and touches a leper and heals him. He cares for a Roman officer. He heals someone this Roman officer loves. These Roman officers who were oppressing Jesus' people, who were the enemy, and he commends the officer's faith while also turning to the religious leaders of the day and criticizing their lack of it. He says that there's a cost to following him and that people should still do it. Now, when was the last time you heard a politician say, hey, I really want your votes. You should go where I'm taking the country and also it's gonna be terrible. Like, that's not how this works. And Jesus said, look, there's a cost to following me. You should do it anyway because there's also blessings here and they're worth the cost. Jesus forgives a man's sins, which is insane because only God can do that. And then he heals him of his paralysis kind of as a side note, like just to prove that he can forgive sins. He calls a tax collector to be one of his followers, one of, part of his inner circle, these tax collectors who were the most hated people in their culture. He said, no, I, I want you to be part of this thing that's going on. He lives a life so upside down and backwards, he even reverses death by going in and pulling a little girl back to life. Everything is upside down and backwards of our expectations. Have you ever seen one of those upside down painters? Like they show up on like America's Got Talent stuff. Not that, not that the painter is upside down, but that they're painting what appears to be a fully right side up canvas, only what they're painting doesn't make any sense. And after you've seen these a couple of times, you go, oh, okay, I know what's going on here. They're gonna, they're gonna paint something that doesn't look like anything. And then they're gonna flip it over and you'll be like, whoa, that was Bruce Lee the entire time. And I had no idea. And, and so you start to look for it. And I, I get at least in my imagination, the people listening to Jesus as he's doing this teaching on the side of the mountain, I imagine they're feeling something like that. Like they're listening to what he's saying and they're waiting for him to flip it upside down and go, oh no, here's what I'm really teaching. Like all of that, I was just being sarcastic. I was just being ridiculous. And and now I'm gonna flip it upside down and it's all gonna make sense the way the world makes sense. And he never does. He just leaves it upside down and then goes out and lives that very different life. It's like he actually intends for his followers to live a life that looks radically different from the world. And for those of you who want to follow along uh, using notes, that's our first note this morning. Jesus actually intends for his followers to live a radically different life. This is a part where when we want to follow Jesus, but we don't want there to be too much of a cost to it, we go, ah, I mean, he can't really expect me to do all of that, or he can't really expect me to see the world that way. But it appears (laughs) that he actually intends 
for his followers to live a radically different life. So I want to dig in this morning to the middle of that teaching. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 are known historically as the Sermon on the Mount. This is a teaching on the hillside. And I want to dive in right in the middle and look at Matthew chapter 6 this morning. So we'll start right at the beginning of that chapter, starting in verse 1. Again, all this is, is Jesus' teaching. He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. In other words, your giving should be about the person you are giving to, not about you. Fair enough? Okay. Uh, he continues, we're going to skip down to verse 7. Just look at a, a few different passages in here today. He says, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. Again, it's not about you. When you pray, it's about God. It's about your Father in heaven. Skipping down to verse 14. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Like maybe forgiveness isn't just this get out of jail free card, but it's something that I need to not only receive, but practice Like maybe it's not all about me and what I get. Jesus continues. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private. And your father who sees everything will Reward you. Okay, I think at this point, we can get the point. And here's Jesus' first point about this different backwards life. Seriously, it's not about you. Seriously, it's not about you. However individualized we like to make faith in America, however individualized in Western culture we love to make life in general, Jesus says, actually, seriously, it's not about you. Remember how he said poverty and persecution were a blessing and self-preservation was missing the point. We live in a world that encourages us to take care of self first, then to take care of our people, whoever they may be, and then if there's anything left over, take care of everybody else. Jesus says that's backwards. If you're going to put on your oxygen mask first, it better be because that is the best way to care for the other people around you. Self-care is not so that you feel inflated. It's so that you have enough care in you to care for others. Money is not so that you feel inflated. It is so that you have something to help and care for others. Seriously, though, it's not about you. 
Jesus continues, verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. We think of money as being something that will make us happy. We're certainly taught that it will. Every commercial out there tells us that their possession will make us happy. That somehow if we get that thing, it will be good for us and good for our heart. America's financial ideals are built on the idea that enough money will make us happy, will take away our worries, will be good for our heart. But part of this radically different life that Jesus calls us to, he says, heart follows money. Heart follows money. We've got it backwards. Your heart goes wherever your money leads it, which is kind of a strange way to think about things. So you can ask yourself this question. What do you want to care about? What do you want to care about? Put your money there. Put your prayers there. Your heart will follow. You want to care about stuff and lusts and entertainment? Then put your money there. Your heart will follow. Do you want to care about the poor, about the church, about the mentally and physically broken, about the hurting people around you? Jesus cares about those things. You can put your money there. Your heart will follow. I'm not even asking, do you care about those things? Do you want to? Is that what you want your heart to be about? Then you put your money there and your heart follows. My heart is attached to the mission of this church because I give to the mission of this church. Now, my heart is attached to the people of this church because we have awesome people and I love being part of this church family. But my heart is not attached to the mission of the church, the things that God wants to do in and through us because I receive a paycheck. It's actually exactly the opposite. I'm not obligated to the mission. I care about the mission because I give to it. Now, do we need the money of this church family to be able to accomplish everything that God wants to do, that we believe God wants to do in and through this church? Yes, money is going to be part of it. But we don't need more people who feel obligated to the church. We don't need more people who feel coerced or forced to connect with the mission of the church What we really need is we need more hearts attached to the mission of the church, attached to what God wants to do in and through our church family. Do you want to care about the people of Cowlitz County having their lives radically changed by Jesus? If you do, then you put your money into that. If we are one of the organizations through which people's lives are being changed by Jesus, then you can put your money into that. Your heart will follow. 
Ask yourself, what do you want to care about? And then you give to it. Whether you care about it yet or not, your heart follows. Heart follows money. And Jesus points out that heart is more than affection. It's also allegiance. He continues in verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money, which leads me to a question. How do you know if you're being mastered by money? How do you know if you're being enslaved by it? I think the thing to examine is how you align your life. Do you keep lining your life up in an attempt to make more money? Do you keep setting your priorities in a way to make more money, to get more money, or do you keep lining your life up to get more of God? Do you worry about not having enough money, or do you worry about not having enough God? How are you lining up your heart in your priorities and your worries? Because whatever you're aiming for more of, that's what's driving you. Whatever causes you to line up your life and make your decisions and your priorities, that's what's mastering you and driving you forward. And you can't be mastered by both. So how are you lining up your life? Jesus says, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. So what do you do instead? It's not worry about those things that we're so ingrained in worrying about. Jesus says you do this, verse 33. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Seek the kingdom of God first. The kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Jesus talks about these as essentially being the places where the goodness of God breaks through in the world around us. Little pockets where heaven is clearly active, where we're practicing the things of heaven, where people are being loved and served and cared for and forgiven, where the things that matter to heaven are the top priority on earth, where people are coming into a deeper relationship with God and an understanding of God's love and forgiveness for them. This is the kingdom of heaven, and Jesus says, seek that above everything else. Make that your top priority with your money, with your heart, with your mission. And the truth is, the kingdom will never be the world's top priority. 
If you want your life to look like everybody else's version of right side up, then you won't be seeking the kingdom first. Now, the people around you may be very self-focused. They may be self-first. But I also know lots of people who are not following Jesus and not seeking the kingdom who do a great job of seeking other people first, of trying to love other people well. You may even know people around you who aren't following Jesus, who what they really want, their top priority, or maybe even people who are following Jesus, where their top priority is a utopian nation, where we could, if we could just get everybody around us to do and think and see all the right things, then life would be good. I'm not saying that any of these things are necessarily bad. In fact, some of it's very good, but it is not seeking kingdom first. And if we're going to follow Jesus, if we're going to be people who follow in the way he has called us to go, this radically different life, we're going to have to choose God's kingdom over everything else. We're going to choose God's kingdom over everything else. Too often and for too long, the American church has chosen other things over kingdom. And I think this COVID era that we're in has shown a light on some of these things or brought them to the surface that we either wanted to ignore or pretend weren't there or just haven't been interested in dealing with. And all of a sudden, they're very visible. And I I do want to be really clear up front because I'm going to talk about the church, specifically the American church. I was convicted this week in hearing somebody talk about how we are the church. She said, you can't talk about the church in the third person. It's not just those people out there or that church over there or that church that gets all the views, that believes things differently than I do. We are the church. So we need to be part of the solution. To live this radically different life, we are going to have to choose kingdom things over the things the world and even some Christian celebrities tell us are important. For instance, we are going to have to choose kingdom over political power. We're going to have to choose kingdom over political power. See, Jesus had the chance to grab political power, and he refused to do it. He had all of these people following him around, these people who believed that what they were about to do was take political power. And he had them all stirred up and following him into the capital city. And if he had wanted to, he could have grabbed for the political power of his day. And he chose not to. And so if we are going to follow Jesus in his kingdom, we are also going to have to choose not to. We're going to have to choose to follow. We're going to have to choose kingdom over political power. Now, Are there Christians involved in political things? Yes. Is that bad? No. No. Does Jesus have a morality that he teaches that would be good for all of the people around us? Yes. We really do believe that the things that Jesus lays out, that God lays out in scripture, are the context for our blessing as human beings. So yes, there is a morality here that would be really good for everyone to be a part of. 
But somewhere along the line, the American church has become more interested in having the power to pass our laws than having the power of God's love and God's spirit in how we engage with the world around us. We were so focused. We've been so focused on getting our laws and our morality passed for everyone else that we have failed to notice that the world has stopped listening. The world no longer cares what we have to say. And when we do notice that, our reaction has been to grab for more power so that we can force them to listen. But if the world has stopped listening to us, how are we going to tell them? How are we going to tell them that they are loved? How are we going to tell them that there is forgiveness, that they don't have to live in the shame anymore? How are we going to tell them that there is such a thing as truth and sin and that they need to respond to that in some way? We are going to have to earn the right to be heard. And you do not earn the right to be heard by forcing someone to listen. You earn the right to be heard by loving and serving and sacrificing for someone. By doing the kingdom things that Jesus demonstrated for us. We're going to have to earn the right to be heard. I heard a, a survey this week done by the Barna Group, which is a, a reputable, long-standing surveying group, mostly looking at things that affect the church and culture around the church. And this survey was not done in Callas County. It was done earlier this year, mostly in cities. And they had this statement on their survey that was an agree or disagree. The statement was this, local churches in my area care about my overall well-being. Local churches in my area care about my overall well-being, agree or disagree. 6% of people who don't follow Jesus think that the church cares about their overall well-being. 6% think that we actually care. I don't know if the next statistic is worse or not. 50% of practicing Christians believe that the church cares about their overall well-being. I know there are a lot of ways to interpret overall well-being. To me, that sounds like, do you believe the church loves you and everything about you? And 94% of people would go, nope. Not only has the world stopped listening, they've stopped believing that we care. And somehow we are going to have to demonstrate that. And that's going to be by choosing kingdom things. By understanding that we have to earn the right to be heard, that we cannot power that into people. It's going to be people like you and me, loving our neighbors, our coworkers, our enemies, the people who disagree with us. And we're going to have to, I mean, 50% of practicing Christians, Jesus said, they will know you're my followers by the way you love each other. 
Somewhere along the line, we've reached a point where inside the church, we're more interested in debating political priorities than kingdom ones. And we're going to have to be about choosing kingdom things, sacrificing, serving, loving one another, no matter where we stand politically. Kingdom over political power. We're also going to have to choose kingdom over castle. Kingdom over castle. And here's what I mean by that. On an individual level, this means choosing the kingdom of God over my house, over your business. Like if, if I have a decision to make, if you have a decision to make, and you say, well, this, one, this, this choice would be good for the kingdom but it'd be bad for my house or my wealth or my future earnings. We're going to have to choose kingdom ones. Now, I'm setting these up as mutually exclusive, and they're not always. Sometimes it can be good for both. But, but if I have to choose, and this choice is good for the kingdom, but it's going to be bad for business. Jesus says, would you look at the birds and the flowers? They're well taken care of. Choose kingdom things. And then maybe this is a, a weird one for you. I, I don't know. As, as a church, we're going to have to choose that the kingdom of God is more important than any one church, including East Hills. The kingdom of God is more important than any individual church castle. A number of years ago, not, not here, previous church, I was much younger, and I was hired, it was made pretty clear to me, to help bring in the young people. Well, we'll hire a, a young guy and his wife, and they don't even have kids yet, and, and, and they'll bring in the other young people. There are a number of flaws with that plan. One of those flaws was assuming that I was going to magnetically attract people. One of the flaws was the church wanted to bring in young people, but didn't want to change anything about what they were doing to do that. But maybe the biggest flaw was the motivation behind why they wanted to see young people brought into the church. Because they looked around and said, our church is getting old. Our church is not going to continue if we don't get some young people in here. We have this good thing going. We really like it. But, but what's going to happen to it if we can't pass these things we like on to another generation? We don't need to reach out to young generations or any generation for the purpose of extending the life of a castle. I've seen, believe me, all of the statistics about how many people my age and younger are walking away from the church And sometimes it feels like what we really want is to get them back so the church can do better. We need to reach out to those generations and every generation because they need to know Jesus. <laughs> because he loves them and forgives them and wants to be in a deeper relationship with them and they need to know that. 
We've got to choose the kingdom of God over any one castle. We need to make decisions so that people of every generation can come to know Jesus, not so that East Hills does better. Kingdom over castle. And we're going to have to choose kingdom over security. Kingdom over our comfort. And sometimes kingdom over our safety. And I know I stood up here a couple of weeks ago and said that safety is one of the driving forces in my life. And so I wrestle with this one. But we're going to have to choose to invest our money and time and resources into the kingdom, not into making ourselves more comfortable or ensuring a comfortable future. We're going to have to choose kingdom over food and clothes even. Jesus said, right, verse 25, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? It's like Jesus actually intends for us to live this radically different life where we're not consumed with the worries about even things as basic as food and clothing because we're prioritizing the kingdom. He says in the last chapter or last verse of chapter 6 verse 34 So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> Today's trouble is enough for today. In this radically different life, trust is more important than worry. Trust, trust is more important than worry. Now, I do want to say that it is okay to want to take care of people, to want to take care of the details around you and make sure that every T is crossed and every I dotted to look out for the pitfalls and potential snares for the people you love and the choices they're making. I think sometimes this verse is used against detail people who are looking out for others by, by looking at all those T's and I's and making sure everything's taken care of and it's used by people who just wanna go, you know what, don't worry about the details, just lighten up already. We're not all wired that way. It is okay to want to look out for the people around you and to do that in a detail-oriented way. The number of couples who are looking at each other going, okay, anyway, we know how this goes. We know how this goes. It's okay to do that. That is a way that God has wired you to love the people around you. But your ability to worry out the problems and figure out all the solutions is not the radically different life that Jesus calls you to. Jesus is calling you to trust that you will be okay, that the people around you will be okay, to focus on what you can control today, to focus on what you can control today. Not that other person, not that politician, not that other church over there. What can you control today, and then trust him with the rest. Tomorrow will certainly have its own worries. And whatever you can prevent today of the worries of tomorrow, 
prevent those today. That's something you can control today. The things you can't prevent, stewing on them today does nobody any good and is not the life Jesus has for you. Prevent what you can prevent today, but in this upside down kingdom, trust is more important than worry. Trust for today is more important than prevention for tomorrow. So let's take this home in a couple of ways. One, if you're listening to this and there's something about this upside down kingdom, you go, actually, I want to be a part of that and I'm not sure how to do it. Jesus did say that there is a cost to following him, but taking the steps into this kingdom are not actually that complicated. We believe that Jesus is who he said he was, that he is the savior of the world, that the Jesus who said he would die and then did, and he would raise from the dead and then did, that the other things he teaches are also true. We believe that Jesus is worth giving our life to and that God has raised him from the dead. And scripture teaches that everyone who says that Jesus is worth giving our life over to, turning our lives over to him, and who believes that God raised him from the dead, they are part of this kingdom. They get to be a part of the blessings and love and sacrifices of this kingdom. And for all of us who are trying to walk in this way, to be a part of this kingdom, a question to ask yourself this week. What choice do you need to turn upside down? What choice or decision do you need to turn upside down? What decision are you making that needs to get flipped so that it better lines up with Jesus's kingdom? Is it how you spend your money? Is it how you do everything to avoid persecution? Is it your priorities or how you prioritize comfort? Is it how you worry about tomorrow? This is something else. What choice or decision do you need to make? Sometimes it's one of those things that is easier to see in other people. Like, well, I know what they need to choose differently. And I might suggest that if you're finding it really easy to see it in other people and you're finding it really hard to find one of your own, that perhaps judgment would be one of the things that God would like to flip upside down in your life, I know it is one of the many he is working on in me. None of us are perfect. None of us have this all figured out. All of us are in progress. So you may have a really obvious one. You may have lots to choose from. Pick one, pick one. And then you can discover or maybe rediscover what God can do with an overturned life in this upside down kingdom he calls us to. Will you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your patience with us. That you continue to be present with us as we seek your kingdom and sometimes get very distracted by all the shiny things around us. God, I thank you that you continue to mold us, to love us, 
God, I thank you that through Jesus, you have taught and demonstrated the kind of kingdom life you call us to. And Father, I, I know that so many of these things, these priorities of the world around me are, are so ingrained in me, so ingrained in many of us. And so God, I, I ask that you would shine a light on those things, that you would gently forcefully, purposefully, whatever you need to do, when continue to sand off our rough edges, mold us, remake us to look and live and love more like you, even if that sometimes feels like getting flipped upside down. Father, thank you that you do continue to work in us, work through us, to see the kingdom break through in the world around us. Would you do whatever you want to do in us so that you can do whatever you want to do through us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.